Here's the deal is we have a guy who's been a part of our ministry. I've loved serving alongside him, with him, seeing him grow and mature. And uh, his name is Robert. Will you guys welcome him to the stage as he shares his story with us tonight? Good evening. My name is Robert. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus, and I'm in recovery for sexual addiction and anger. Hey guys, let's take a moment to pray. Lord, I've spent a good part of my life telling others what you can do for them. Now I get to share what you've done for me. And as I share tonight how you've helped me overcome my hurts, hang-ups, and habits, may that victory over them help others as they see how you are at work in changing my life. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I was born in Portland, Oregon on May 3rd, 1945. And to save you from having to do the math, I'll be 77 in three weeks. <laughs> I grew up in Salem, Oregon. My family was an average family with, uh, of four, with a father who worked, a mother who stayed home and took care of me and an older brother in the house. My family was a good family. We were good people, but not a church-going family. I did attend various churches off and on with friends. My father was a workaholic and a functional alcoholic. He worked 10 to, <clears throat> excuse me, 10 to 12 hours a day, six days a week to build a business. He was very controlling and he was able to limit his drinking to evenings and weekends. And any misbehavior in our house resulted in a severe spanking with a belt. When I was about 10, my father's business was purchased by a larger company. The larger company kept my father on as a manager. After this, his hours got shorter, the spankings turned into talks, and his controlled drinking continued. We moved into a bigger house, and life was good, mostly because I now had my own bedroom. I always felt that my mom resented me because I wasn't a girl. As a child, I remember hearing over and over the words, if you had only been a girl, you wouldn't have done that when I would do something that my mom didn't like. I began to resent her, and I spent much of my childhood trying to earn my mother's love and my dad's respect. I became a people pleaser, uh, but it seldom seemed to work with them. I became frustrated and angry, blaming myself for the failure. I believed there must be something wrong with me. And to have my older brother reinforcing that and telling me that I was adopted increased my self-doubt. By fourth grade, I found that getting good grades in school was one thing that pleased both my mom and dad, so I became an overachiever and even was included in the talented and gifted program in my grade school. But this created a jealousy in my five-and-a-half-year older brother. He had picked on me for years, but at this time he got serious. He would talk me into doing things that would hurt or embarrass me, and then he would laugh at me. He and I have been reconciled a relationship a number of years ago, and he has now passed on to the next phase of his life. I was an angry kid. I didn't know how to express feelings in constructive ways. I was mean to some people, including my mom. Not feeling like I could share my bad feelings or even knowing how caused me to seek ways to escape the pain. I developed an interest in the magazines Dad kept under the bathroom sink. 
I would spend a lot of time in the bathroom, which inconvenienced my family because we only had one bathroom. One day, the magazines mysteriously disappeared and were replaced with National Geographic. <laughs> However, I found that I enjoyed the pictures in National Geographic, especially the pictures of naked female primitive natives. I also could hardly wait for the next department store catalog to arrive so I could look at the lingerie pictures. My feelings of hurt and frustration went away for a while as I was looking at those pictures. When I was 11, I learned about masturbation from some friends who were a year or so older than me. And after some experimentation, I found that it was an enjoyable experience. And I began masturbating regularly from the time I was 12. This continued for nearly 50 years and grew to include pornographic books, magazines, films, and later, the internet. I was a sophomore in high school before I started dating, and I went steady with one girl for the rest of my high school years. I felt secure, and it was good to have a female in my life who appreciated me. We came close to having sex, but never did. And we broke up when I went away to college, and I discovered college girls. I began to drink and party and date as many different girls as I could. I lost my virginity with a girl when I was 19. I discovered that I could add reality to my fantasies. I had a dozen or so failed relationships during the ensuing years. I either broke up with them because they wouldn't put out, or they broke up with me when they realized the main reason I was in the relationship. At 23, I met my first wife. We immediately moved in together and got married a few months later. She was also a sex addict, and we lived in codependent bliss for six months until she took her addiction outside of our marriage. We divorced and I was devastated, mainly because she left me for another guy. I blamed her for the failure, but started beating myself up with what ifs. I turned to porn and masturbation to ease my pain and doubt. Two years after that, I ran into an old friend who I used to attend church with when we were kids. I hadn't seen him for a number of years, but started attending church with he and his wife. By now, I was ready to try this religion thing because nothing else had worked to ease my pain. I attended fairly regularly and actually became interested in this person named Jesus. It was also at this time that God brought Louise into my life. We met on a blind date at a nightclub. And I was supposed to be someone else's date, but was attracted to this pretty young woman with a broken leg who was a friend of my date. I asked her for her phone number and she gave it to me, the right number, in fact. <laughs> when I called and she answered, I was encouraged. I asked her out and she said she was going to a church group and I could come if I wanted. I found out later she thought the church thing would discourage me. Actually, it increased my interest in her. We began dating and attending church together at my friend's church. It was mid-March 1971 when I went forward in that church and made a commitment to follow Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I was baptized on Easter Sunday, 1971. Louise, who had attended church for most of her life, recommitted her life to Jesus at the same time. She and I were married in June of that same year. We moved into my apartment. I was five years into my career with U.S. Bank. 
And with her income and mine, we had a pretty good life. My obsession with porn and masturbation continued even during this time. And while Louise was aware that I was looking at porn, she tolerated it because I got her to believe the lie that it was a harmless vice. Because of my career, we moved every few years as I transferred to larger branches with more responsibility. It was during this time we started our family. Our daughter was born in 1974 and our son in 1976, and we now also have two amazing grandchildren. We continued to attend church regularly and transferred our church membership to a local church wherever we moved. I kept practicing my harmless vice. I had a hidden stash of various pornographic materials. This was all before the term internet was even part of the vocabulary. I had magazines, books, and a cherished black and white eight millimeter movie. In December of 1988, I felt my career with the bank was at a dead end. So in a time of earnest prayer, I asked God what he wanted me to do with my life. I was serious, and God's response was that I should go into the gospel ministry. I shared this with my pastor, and after a considerable prayer and conversation, he confirmed God's call on my life. I resigned my 21-year career with the bank, got a student loan, and enrolled in seminary. I might add that Louise was pretty upset with me. She was raised in a pastor's home and was not particularly excited about being a pastor's wife. In the few weeks, though, she accepted that this was God's will for us and began supporting me in my career change. Literally, she had a good, well-paying job. After three years of graduate theological school, I received my Master of Divinity degree. And on May 12, 1991, I was ordained as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was Mother's Day, and my mother was there. She told me that she loved me and was proud of me. My father was there also, and for the first time I could remember, he also said he was proud of me. I had served as associate pastor of a small church in Aloha, Oregon during seminary and continued there until I was called to a small church just west of Fresno, California, as senior pastor. God gave me the privilege of leading both my parents to the Lord, and in March 1993, I was blessed to be able to baptize them both. Shortly after we moved to California, Louise got a good job in Fresno, and we served that church faithfully for four years. And we decided to stay there until I retired. Well, God had a different plan. And by now, I was a functional porn addict. Well, back to God's plan. I believe God thought we were too comfortable in our situation. And when the posting came out requesting a missionary couple to work in the Philippines, it caught my eye. This request exactly fit who we were and our individual job skills. And neither one of us was really excited about leaving everything we were comfortable with, but we decided just in case it was God speaking to us. We applied and told God if this was his will, we would go. Six months later, we were on the ground in Iloilo, Philippines. I had left my porn behind in the US and I vowed that I was through with it. I felt a new place 6,000 miles away would give me a new start. As it turned out, we were housed on a major university campus, and I soon discovered that instead of having a dial-up modem, some of you may remember those, they had cable internet and cable TV, 
It wasn't long before I was exploring the internet and found some interesting sites. They say in recovery, wherever you go, there you are. You see, my problem wasn't a matter of location or situation or who I associated with. It wasn't even the easy access to the internet. The problem was me. I discovered that I couldn't run away from myself, but my functional porn use continued. As a pastor and missionary, I traveled a lot, always accompanied by Filipinos for safety reasons. And many of the places I visited didn't have electricity, let alone TV or internet. And I stayed clean when I was away from home. But when I got back, I would do the work I had to do and then hit my favorite sites on the internet. I also discovered some interesting TV shows. God did use me only because I had surrendered my life to him and he took me up on it, but I did not surrender my harmless vice. You see, I continued to believe the lie that as long as it didn't interfere with my work, and if I kept it secret, it wouldn't interfere with my work. We served as missionaries for six years. We arrived back in the States August 2002 and came to Modesto because our son and his wife had an extra bedroom. We lived with them for about three weeks until we bought a car and found an apartment. In the meantime, I had arranged to meet with the search committee of a small church in Oakdale. The church called me to be their pastor, and I accepted it as a half-time pastorate. I substitute taught to supplement our income. My porn use continued. And also, now my anger returned, but by now I had learned how to use it to control others. Louise was intimidated by me, and I was able to coerce her into hacking out some of my fantasies from watching porn. Finally, she'd had enough. She moved out. She said that she loved me dearly, would love me forever, but she was not willing to live under the same roof with me while I was doing porn and treating her disrespectfully. At first, I blamed her for leaving. Then I rationalized because I was a pastor, Satan was tempting me more than others. And to quote the now infamous Bill Cosby, the devil made me do it. <laughs> that is a lie. Scripture is very clear that Satan can tempt us, but he cannot make us do anything. We always have a choice. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so you can endure it. I didn't look for the way out right away. Fortunately, I soon realized what I had lost. Louise and I kept in touch and even began to meet Saturday nights at Big Valley. I would attend the service at Big Valley on Saturday night with Louise and do the service at Oakdale in my church on Sunday. I did manage to stay sober for a little while and accepted that maybe I did have a problem with pornography. I confessed to my mentor pastor and gave him permission to contact the regional executive to see if they could get me help. I got a call from the executive minister the next day telling me I had to resign immediately and get help. I felt betrayed and angry. I should mention that I was also in individual counseling for anger with a Christian psychologist. He helped me work through those feelings. Louise and I continued to see each other and attend Big Valley. I heard about Celebrate Recovery and decided to give it a try. That was November of 2005. I was still pretty prideful 
And I figured if I liked it, I would whip through the program and get healed. That was 16 years ago. <laughs> we didn't have a first-timers group at that time, and after the worship and testimony, I was introduced to Mike, who accompanied me to the men's sexual addiction group. I was impressed with the honesty of the guys in the group. Most of them had similar problems to mine, and I judged some much worse. I discovered as I progressed in my recovery that my issues might be slightly different, but they were just as serious as anyone else's. Sin is sin in God's eyes. My second time at CR, I started a step study. I discovered that I was indeed unable to control my addiction, and my life was a mess. It was unmanageable. From then on, I took this program seriously and did my best to work the steps. I wanted to get better and believed that CR could do that for me, especially since it was a Christ-centered program. I found a sponsor who had also been a pastor who lost his ministry due to porn use. He was firm but understanding, and we developed a good relationship. He helped me through my first two step studies. As I worked the fourth and fifth steps, it felt like I had been released from dragging a sack of rocks behind me. As I dealt with my hurts and the hurt I had inflicted on others, my anger subsided. I let go of resentments and hurts from my childhood. I worked the eighth and ninth steps, steps and made amends to Louise and a number of other people. Louise, who also started attending CR and even finished a step study, moved back in only after eight months. After this, I attained sobriety for four years. Then I got a new computer. I had covenant eyes on my old computer, but I figured I had four years of sobriety. Louise had moved back in. My marriage is doing good. I figured I could handle it on my own. Proverbs 16:18 says, pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. It wasn't three days and I was visiting the old sites and some new ones. Fortunately, it was only a few days before the Holy Spirit got the best of me. I was able to confess to my sponsor, the guys in the open share group. I also confessed to Louise. I was ready to face the consequences of my sin. Louise was compassionate and told me that she was hurt deeply but what I had done, but since I had been working my program and made amends, she would forgive me. Her attending CR and a step study had given her the knowledge of the re recovery process. CR saved our marriage. After this, I enjoyed three years of sobriety. I even started attending the codependency anger group to deal with those character defects. It was at this time I went into a major depression. I continued to work as a special ed teacher, my fourth career, but dropped all outside activities, including CR and even attending church. I retired in December of 2012. I started attending church again, and more importantly for me, celebrate recovery. Within six months, I was off all the psychiatric medications. I was attending church regularly and more importantly, began serving at CR. I volunteered for the food team. I accepted a request to be on the prayer team. I'm an open share group facilitator, a sponsor, have completed my fifth step study, Shadows of the Cross, and the journey continues. My recovery is going to be a lifelong process. Outside of CR, I serve as a chaplain here at Big Valley, attend the Monday Evening Men's Fellowship, and have coordinated several programs here at Big Valley for persons with disabilities. In my 16 years in CR, I have relapsed four times. 
I've had a couple of slips. Each time has been less severe and of shorter duration, and I've been able to confess my, to my sponsor and accountability team, as well as Louise. I am so very grateful for a program that acknowledges progress and doesn't demand perfection. It does not judge me, but through acceptance, tough love, and speaking the truth in love is making me the man God wants me to be. If you're a first-timer, come back. I don't know why or how you got here, but God does. He has a plan for your life, and CR might be part of that. I'm living proof that this program works if you work it. So work it, because you're worth it. Even if you don't believe you're worth it, the God of the universe does. He died for you and me. I want to thank my first sponsor, Dave M., who is now with his Lord, my codependency anger sponsor, Gordon, my current sponsor, Andrew, and all the guys who held me accountable, too many to mention individually, and the most influential person in my recovery, other than Jesus, the person who stayed with me through the whole process, whose tough love got me into recovery, my loving wife of 50 years, Louise. She's forgiven me more than anyone should have to forgive, but then we have a God who specializes in forgiveness and other miracles. We have put him first in our lives because he can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that has worked within us, Ephesians 3.20. God is good. Thank you for letting me share. Hey, let's hear it one more time for Robert. I love to hear miracles and how they change lives. That's super, super awesome. And if you're new to the program, that's uh, what you get to look forward to. You get to look forward to some key phrases that he said is, uh, it saved my marriage. I've been married for 50 years and it's forgiveness, and God is in the business of forgiveness, so thank you for that. That's super awesome. Hey, we're gonna close with the serenity prayer in just a minute, but if you're watching online, if you are uh, maybe catching this later and you got a group that you're getting together with, the focus question tonight is this. Have you been having any thoughts of the good old days, and how can you handle your struggle differently this time? And uh, we just heard a great testimony how there was relapses and slips and uh, how can you continue to work your program? And so let's close our time with the serenity prayer. So remain standing or stand up and, and let's pray. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen.